0: Hi there, welcome to the Matthias H. Barker podcast. My name is Matthias, I'm a psychotherapist from Nashville, Tennessee, and this is a podcast about mental health and moving towards what's meaningful despite hardship. Well, hello everybody. I'm, I'm happy you're here. We're going to be doing an AMA today and Ask Me Anything. I collected questions on various social media channels and we have kind of a whole selection of different questions that we'll be going through today. I hope you enjoy Hey, I wanted to let you know about a free webinar I'm doing soon. It's on the topic of trauma, and we're going to be talking about specifically why do I feel this way? Why do the emotional wounds from the past, the things that have affected me, you know, long ago, actually have impacts on the relationships I'm trying to build in the in the present, Um, the domains of life I'm trying to connect to in the present, we're going to be talking about that. So it's totally free, I'm going to be doing it live, you should totally come Uh, link is in the show notes or on any of my social media channels to sign up, make sure to register. And uh, let's do this. Let's dive into a few ads right before we dive into the questions. So I've been using Athletic Greens for a while. Um, I really reached out to them to be a sponsor on the podcast because I liked their product. I like I saw the effect. It was having on me and my mental health. Um, athletic Greens, it's now called AG1. It's this powder that you can mix into like a cup of water or your morning smoothie, and it gives you a few different things. So it has 75 high-quality vitamins and minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, greens, vegetables, um, and probiotics. And so it's it's not only nutritious, but the probiotics really help you support something called a healthy microbiome, this gut microbiome that runs all the way through your intestinal tract. It has different kinds of bacteria and organisms in your gut that that really support things like you know your hormones uh, your metabolism your overall mood and so there's a lot of recent data that's been coming out on the importance of our microbiome's effect on our mental health so having a regular probiotic like it's really healthy and helpful for maintaining positive mental health because of the effect it has on our microbiome as, as well as other things so i really highly recommend it it's cheaper than than getting like a separate probiotic with all your other supplements it costs you less than like three dollars a day i think when you break it down and so if you sign up um at athleticgreens.com barker you'll get a one year free supply of vitamin d and five free travel packs when you have your first purchase so i recommend I'm really excited to tell you about Inside Tracker. This is a company that I reached out to um in particular because I think they fill a needed gap in the health market. Like it's not always obvious whether the strategies that you're using to optimize your health are actually working, right? And so they they really address this by looking at your blood work and your DNA and giving you recommendations based off that. And, and it's cool because like I've done blood work in the past and and usually what you get is this big readout of all these vitamins and minerals that you're either doing well or not well in and all these different levels of these, you know, <laughs> different substances and so you're kind of left just googling these different substances to figure out what they are and if you should raise them and then what supplement raises them and you're kind of just on this wild goose chase trying to figure that out and so what inside tracker does is they really they take care of all that so you get your results back and then in the app and then they have a breakdown of the data and make it really simple and easy uh, by giving you recommendations on what you can do to optimize your health you know given that data and so things like the right exercise the right nutrition the right supplements for what you need in particular so so, if, if that's interesting, for a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash Matthias. The average age that a child is exposed to pornography is 11. Can you believe that? Gosh, we should stop that. We should stop that from happening. So let me tell you about Canopy. It's an app for families that uses artificial intelligence to detect and block pornography on your devices so that your kids can use the internet and stay safe from graphic content the research is really clear that graphic content is harmful for developing minds it can actually disrupt development i've seen it in my clinical practice and so i'm really passionate about uh, protecting kids from being traumatized in this way and canopy is one of the best softwares out there it's really inexpensive it keeps kids safer online and there's some unique tools too um, that they offer on top of that so like uh being able to detect inappropriate photo sharing uh sexting it really gives you a lot of tools to keep your kids safe so give it a look i really recommend it. If you go to canopy.us slash Matthias, you can get 30 days free and 20% off the regular price forever when you use the promo code Matthias at checkout. What is your definition of happiness? Yeah, that's a great question. I think we could approach this in a few different ways. Um, The first thing that comes to mind for me is really what we mean by happiness physiologically or neurologically, like what is that feeling of happiness that we're all kind of chasing that we all want to experience. And you could say it's maybe a couple different things. You could say it's a mix of two variables, one being like high and low valence and that's high and low positive emotion. And so high valence would be feeling really, really positive about something. Low valence would be, Oh, this is really bad. This is really negative. And then the other variable would be uh, arousal. And so you could have high arousal, really excitable, really, really, you know, full of energy or low arousal, really calm, really settled. And so you have a few different interesting combinations when we think about happiness. So high positive emotion and high arousal, that would be really positive and really excited. That that would be, you know, feelings like euphoria or surprise or glee, right? So that would be a version of happiness. But then you also have on the other spectrum, low arousal and high valence. And so that would be, really positive emotion, but really calm, really settled, really um at peace when you're just snuggling with your kid watching a Disney movie or something. And there's there's that feeling of happiness too. So you can actually give that title of happiness and, and pin it to a lot of different kinds of physiological states, a lot of different emotions. Um maybe the thing them having in common though would be that it's all positive. So, so that's one layer that you could look at it from. But then there's something deeper. There's like how happiness spreads out over time. Because you could say to somebody like, hey, are you happy? And the way that they answer that question could have a lot of variety to it. So let's say that you gave them a beeper. you know, And randomly, at, at you know different times throughout that day, the beeper is going to go off. And it's going to ask you, are you happy on a scale of 1 to 10? Are you happy right now? And so you could, in a sense, get an average of... Someone's experienced happiness from those little beeper calls. So over the course of a week or a month or a year you Send that beeper, you know So many, you know signals and then that person logs if they were experiencing happiness in that direct moment because maybe you know Maybe sometimes you caught them in traffic and they weren't happy then or maybe sometimes you caught them at dinner with their family And they were happy then or or maybe they weren't happy then Um, Maybe you caught them right, you know before their birthday and (laughs) they're very happy then so you could you know create an average of someone's happiness and measure it that way that's that's one way that you could see if someone's happy um another way though is kind of the retrospective you know view of happiness which is sometimes we remember being happy about an experience even though in the moment we weren't happy so there's been studies done i can't i can't pull to mind a reference right off the top of my head so i'm sorry about that but but there's been um studies done on do kids make you happy? I think I'm going to do a whole podcast on this. Um, Do kids make people happy? Because the studies kind of show that if you were to give them the beeper, so to speak, they are not happy (laughs) in the moment um, in comparison to how they were before kids. But if you were to ask somebody at the end, like once their kid's 18 out of the house or whatever, did you enjoy having kids? Did having kids make you happy? Um, With, with high majority people say, yes, that experience made me happy. So that's kind of interesting. Like in the moments they were stressed, but as they remember back on it, they were really happy. And of course there's variety there. Some people are happy the whole time, some people aren't happy, and look back on kids and are like, that sucked, you know, whatever. But that's that's kind of an interesting contrast. And so the way that people remember life events, um, in the way that they experience events in the present are kind of different. And so then you ask the question, Well, what what's my goal? Is my goal to feel happy in the moment? Because there's there's pretty efficient ways to do that. Like cocaine will get you there. Um that's a joke. I'm not recommending anyone do cocaine um you know so there's there's like ways to make each individual moment as pleasurable as possible but then there's the second thing of like how you remember back on it because if anyone's had a bout in their life where they did you know a substance and maybe partied really hard they they typically don't remember that experience very fondly they don't look back and we're like man that was the best they think oh gosh man i was in a hard place or or that was foolish or, or what have you that's kind of the stereotypical thing right but why do they feel that way? It's like, well, because it's not just a matter of if we experienced pleasure. It's did we experience pleasure in a context that aligned with our values? That's that's the ticket. Is Am I experiencing pleasure in a way that is good? And good, you know, to my standards, not necessarily, oh, did I live my life in a way that would make my father proud or my community proud? I mean, that that's aggregated into your conception of the good, but but really when we're talking about someone who's happy we're talking about somebody who can look back on the past and have forgiveness and acceptance for the places where they have regrets that um that maybe navigated points of suffering or hardship with integrity that enjoyed the happy moments of their life in the context of their values um the happy life is in some ways the good life and that's my definition of it, and I'm pulling a lot of that from um, a Yale professor, Paul Bloom. He wrote a book called uh, "The Sweet Spot," and he kind of says that you kind of need a, and you know, there's a sweet spot in between experiencing momentary pleasure and then the good life. You know, experiencing things that are that are uh, of value or are meaningful, and I I align with him in that. I I think I would lean probably heavier towards the meaningful life than just the pleasurable life, I, but but that's Probably just my own personal opinion. But yeah, hope that's food for thought. That's that's kind of my definition of happiness. Do all long-term relationships die? Um, no, not necessarily. Well, sometimes. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter if they're long-distance or not. Like, studies have shown that they're pretty comparable in-person relationships and long-term relationships. But there's some factors about a long-term relationship that leads to its success or leads to people parting ways. So those could be helpful to know about. Um, it doesn't really matter, you know, how far away you are on the planet. It doesn't matter necessarily how often you talk or how often you visit. You know, some studies have shown that that more visitations, in-person visitations helps, but others have not confirmed those results. Um, some studies actually show the farther you are away on the planet, actually the better the relationship is because, and they theorize it's because um, well you have to make more of an effort to to talk to each other it's you have a smaller window of time that both of you are awake and so that constraint actually kind of puts both people you know into gear and and pushes them both to be more attentive and intentional so that's a factor there it's it's not really about that it's it's more the quality of your conversation and then the expectations that you both have around both the communication that you participate in, and then also when you both are going to eventually join into the same city. So, you know, for some people, they're happy to talk a couple times a week because they have jobs that, I don't know, maybe have them out in the field or um, maybe have, you know, military families where it's, it's totally okay to have, you know the partner gone for like a year at a time or six months at a time on deployment like that's not something that necessarily you know deters the relationship if that's the common expectation if that's what both people were expecting and are okay with and both people are committed to that that, that doesn't have a detrimental effect on the relationship necessarily um it's the really the thing that can disrupt long-term relationships is when I want to talk every night and then someone else wants to talk once a week, um, when I want to be living in the same city here in the next six months to a year and they want to be, <laughs> I don't know, going to school and reuniting in like five years, um, you know, and that makes sense, though, It's like people have different career paths and different dreams and things that they want to do. But, but if those two people, you know, the hypothetical people we're talking about, if they don't have a plan for when to reunite and when to kind of meet back up that both people are happy with then that can be the thing that can disrupt and create loneliness, create um, hurt feelings, missed expectations, and long-term relationships. And so if you're in a long-term relationship, I I wouldn't be afraid that you're, you know, unnaturally predisposed to relationship problems. I think that the same things that make regular relationships strong are the same things that make in-person relationships strong. Communication, expectations, you know, those kinds of things. You just want to have kind of a concrete understanding with you and your partner, how often do we talk? Are you happy with that? Do you wanna talk more? Or would you rather talk less? Um, and then when are we gonna be in the same city? In a year, five years, 10 years, maybe never? And if both people are on the same page on that, then relational satisfaction seems to be you know, about on par with regular relationships that are in person. So that's cool. Yeah, long distance relationships. My husband complains that I nag him incessantly but I can't stop any suggestions. Okay, nagging, nagging is a great question. Um, I recently found a study from a news headline that says nagging kills men. And I thought it was funny, so I clicked on it. And they cited a study that came out of University of Copenhagen, London colleagues, and they had 10,000 different men. They were following um, the, over the course of years and tracking their conflict styles and then their physical health. And that they found, I'll, I'll read you a bit of the abstract. Frequent worries and demands from partner or children were associated with 50 to 100% increased mortality risk. Frequent conflicts with any type of social relation were associated with two to three times increased mortality risk. Ha <laughs> ha! Nagging kills men. Okay, so then this news, this news outlet um, went on to say, actually, there was other studies, though, that says that nagging actually helps men live longer. They cited this Harvard blog. Um, I didn't read it, but here's what the news outlet said. Uh, There's also evidence to suggest that husbands should be grateful to their gently prodding wives who may help them socialize more, eat better, and visit the doctor more often. So which is it? Does it kill you? Does it help you? Nagging. Here's the thing. Nagging is not very complicated nagging is one of two things it's an expired or half-hearted negotiation so you could think of uh let's use an example let's say that there's a husband and wife and the husband and wife decide like okay we're going to take out the trash every night before we go to bed and the husband's like yep i'll do that um i'll take it out but what he does is he just he bags it up and then he puts it on the back step um outside I'm thinking that he'll, he'll take it out to the trash can later. Maybe when it piles up a little bit more or maybe on his way to work or something. And, uh, the wife wakes up in the morning, gets kind of frustrated and just says like, Hey, you didn't take it all the way out to the trash. We agreed that you would take it out every night. And then here's his fatal flaw. He agrees and then takes out the trash, but begrudgingly and out of appeasement. So he doesn't do it because he sees the, the sense or the, um, so he doesn't do it because he sees the sense or feels like, yep, that's a great idea. He just does it because, well, she'll get mad at me if I don't. And that's where people make huge flaws. Um, it was a half-hearted negotiation where he conceded just based out of wanting to avoid conflict. Now, the second type, uh, an expired negotiation could look like, let's say there's, there's a couple and they, they work out a budget and they have a certain amount of spending money. And then maybe one or both of them start making a bit more money and they have a bit more financial flexibility. And so the guy decides, oh, I'm going to buy a nice watch. You know, and then she gets mad at him for that and says, hey, you're, you're spending more than you spending budget. Um, you know, go return the watch. And then he, perhaps begrudgingly, will go return the watch or he'll keep the watch, say he returned it, but keep it like secret and only wear it when she's not around or something. And, and and that creates a whole dynamic that's really frustrating because then maybe he feels that she's he's constantly nagged by her on his spending when really it's just because they have an expired negotiation. They need to renegotiate. Instead of begrudgingly taking the watch back, he needs to enter into a conflict I mean, not with like tons of criticism or yelling or something, but just enter into a renegotiation on the spending money. And maybe if they were to do that, she might be like, well, I want to take that extra money that we're making and put it towards, you know, debt or put it towards paying off our house early. Um, You know, and he's like, oh, that sounds like the worst use of extra money ever. Like, let's do something fun with it. Right. And uh, they need to have that fight, though. That's imperative, because if he's just going to begrudgingly agree then he's only going to comply with the negotiation if he feels like he'll get caught or it'll make her mad. Does that make sense? Same thing with the trash. If he'll take out the trash if he's worried that it'll start a conflict with her, but if she's not around, that trash is going on the back step um, because in his heart of hearts, he doesn't see the sense or he doesn't agree that taking it all the way out to the trash can actually matters or that putting that extra few thousand bucks a year towards debt actually you know is the best use of that money so you need to enter back in the conflict all nagging signals to me is that there's a half-hearted or expired negotiation that needs to be rehashed and maybe if you were to listen and and this isn't i don't know it's, it's going to look different depending on the couple but let's say that the trash couple actually jumps into that negotiation and then he says i think it's fine to let the trash sit on the back step until the morning when i'm walking out to my car for work and then i'll take the trash out then And then maybe she says, okay, that's not the worst thing in the world. Like, um, the trash can sit out there for 12 hours, no big deal. Or she might say, Hey, I'm worried that raccoons will get into the trash and it'll be spread all over the lawn and that's way more work. And then he might concede like, Oh yeah, you're right. That's actually, that's actually more work. I should probably just take it all the way out. Or, you know, he might say, I think it's fine if the trash piles up, you know, three or four bags and I'll take it out all at once. It's more convenient that way. And then she, you know, if she's patient, She'll, she'll be <laughs> she'll be kind and explain uh, to, to him how frustrated that makes her and how disorganized or messy or gross that is to leave trash out. And then if he can actually hear that, if he can actually hear how it affects his wife, even if he doesn't agree, even if he doesn't think, oh yeah, that's the best use, he perhaps will agree to the uh, negotiation, but out of a heart of love and care for his wife, not wanting to distress his wife, um, rather than... Just avoid her wrath. There's a distinction there. So you can agree to things that aren't like your perfect preference. You can agree, you can compromise is what I'm saying. But it has to be out of a heart of love and, and understanding, oh, it really affects my wife to have three bags of trash out on the back step and, and it really distresses her. I don't want her to feel distressed. I don't want her to feel upset. I'm going to take it out out of love for her versus doing it out of begrudging appeasement so that she won't get mad. There's a, there's a very different heart there. So it's not always that you always need to get your way on everything. It's it's that the compromises that you make, you take responsibility for. So maybe you do decide to return the watch, but you're doing it because I don't know, you really see the financial stress, the debt, how it's affecting your wife and you really want, you know, to relieve her of that and and you see her happy when we use that money towards debt and and you decide that's a good use of that money. Like, like there's responsibility there or vice versa that she sees, man, you really love that watch. You've been working really hard lately. Yeah, we could be putting it towards debt. Sure, that might be, um, you know, a responsible use for it. But I mean, we could put some money away towards a watch uh, for a watch. That would be a good use as well. So it has to be um, a negotiation where both people feel uh, fully invested. And then oftentimes negotiations have to be rehashed every few years in order to make sure that we can avoid nagging. Because nagging, all that is, is an expired or half-hearted negotiation. All right, that's our time for today. Um, Make sure to come to the free webinar on April 18th. I hope to see you there. Make sure to register. You can find that link in the show notes or on any of my channels on social media. I hope to see you there, everybody. Bye now.